Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Let's stay standing for our sermon text this evening. It's 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. is the word of the Lord. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we look at this passage by your servant Paul, that you would feed us, that you would build us up, that we would heed these words and live them. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14 is one of my favorite passages. It succinctly summarizes some of the important ways that we're to live. Uh, it's, on, it's, it's on the banner out in the foyer, if you haven't noticed up to this point. Apostle Paul, is, is he's coming to the close of this letter of 1 Corinthians, and, um, and the church in Corinth is a church like uh, any church. It is um, one where factions and rivalries exist, and sexual sins are rampant, and he is taking the opportunity to push them forward, to exhort them to better things in the future. Actually, that's a really soft way of saying that he takes a stick to them and whips them in 1 Corinthians 16 or in 1 Corinthians. He is, uh, he is about as aggressive as you can imagine in this letter. But he has faith in God, and that gives him hope for this church. He has faith that as an apostle, it is his job to push that church forward into holiness. And so I, I want to keep this very simple tonight. Um, the passage is simple. If you take a simple passage and talk too much about it, you've probably gone beyond uh, the Word. And there's no uh, point in doing that, right? Um, we, uh, I don't want to put my own thoughts in front of uh, the Word of God, but to bring you the Word of God. So we have five exhortations from the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. The first one, the Holy Spirit says, be on the alert. Be on the alert. Clearly, this first exhortation is meant to keep us vigilant, to keep us watching, to keep us awake, to keep us engaged, right? Uh, so that Satan may not oppress us. Uh, the book of Peter also says, be on the alert, then goes on to say, as you know, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So Satan likes to afflict those who are not alert. He goes for easy prey, just like uh, an animal uh, would go after the, the lame, right? So, so what to do? How are we to be alert? The way to be alert is to set your mind on things above, right? Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on uh, spiritual truths and spiritual realities. Satan loves to take our minds off of God and set them on the, the realm of this world. Right? He, he, loves, he loves us when we're in that state of being caught up in the world, caught up in the, the, the uh, and, and 
not just caught up in the world, but forgetful of, of spiritual realities. And then the sinful nature also seeks to take your mind and fix it on uh, the things in this world and enjoying the things, the goods of this world, right? The, the sinful nature uh, seeks to do that. And this was Satan's method with, with Jesus when he tempted him in the wilderness, right? Satan tries to draw Jesus away by food, by the wealth of the world, and by power, right? All those being very worldly pursuits. And Satan has not changed his methods, right? The appetites of our flesh, yes, the taste of food, sexual sensations, love of money are at war with our faith, as they always have been. Um, you know, you, as a pastor or as a shepherd, you dread to think about this, but at times you, you allow your, your mind to think these ways, um, perhaps more often than, than not. But who of those here tonight will in coming years leave the church, leave his or her spouse, and fall into, fall into this or that sin and come under discipline? Who, who will it be from among those listening tonight? Without a doubt, it will be someone who is not vigilant, is just not, not, not awake. Someone who's not alert, someone who feels pretty good about themselves and where they're at right now. It will be someone who thinks way too highly of himself, one who is lazy in pursuing God. Right? Just lazy. Somebody right now who's bored with the things of the church, you will be caught up. You, you, you are the definition of somebody that is not alert, right? Um, you will fall into Satan's trap like a dumb animal falls into you know, a simple mechanism, simple trap. And so I warn you right now to, to wake up, wake up. Be on the alert. Be alert. Right? If you are unaware of your temptations, if you're unaware of the things that vie for your affections and your attention and your time, you're not alert. You have to know those things. Part of being alert is knowing yourself and knowing your temptations. In fact, it may be a very simple thing that you give yourself to now that leads to your downfall. Very simple thing. A glance, right? One glance. King David fell by a glance. Right? A conversation at work with the needy but attractive woman. Right? Just a conversation. And an invitation to a party. Giving, giving yourself to one sort of obviously justified flare-up of your anger. Right? And then before you know it, somebody is lying before you, injured or dead. Right? Bending the truth. Bending the truth just a little bit when you're negotiating a contract. You know? Cheating on just one exam question. Just one. But it gets you the A and it gets you the scholarship. And so you think, hmm, you know, that paid off. 
Just these little things where you're not alert to, to what God requires in His law, what God requires of you, and the depth of the integrity and holiness that He requires of you. And so the way to be vigilant, the way to be awake, the way to be watchful is to fix your minds on that which is above and not that which is upon the earth, Colossians 3.2. The way to be watchful is to let your minds dwell on Jesus Christ, that which is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute. Right? Do this as it says in the book of Hebrews, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance. Right? Run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I mean, running with endurance, right? You can get in a race, but you can just be like, you know, yawning at the, when the gun goes off and, and walking along. You won't win the race, right? In fact, you, 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 will, uh, you will be roundly mocked for your unreadiness for the race, right? But we are to run with endurance. We are to have trained. We, are, we have this race that's set before us. We've seen Jesus do it perfectly, right? And we are to imitate our Savior who ran the race with incredible endurance. If you do this, if you set your mind on Jesus, if you fix your minds on Jesus, your desire will be for Him rather than for this world. That's what it will be. Your great desire will be to glorify God. Your greatest pleasure will be to honor and obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And every action you do, every thought you think, will simply be a way of expressing your love to Christ. Right? Every, every thought, every action in obedience to Christ. Second, so that's the first. Be awake. Be alert. Be on the alert. Second, the Holy Spirit says, stand firm in the faith. Second exhortation stands in close relation to the first. Stand firm implies that there is something that is trying to upend you. Something that is trying to knock you from your stance. Faith will be that power that allows you to retain your footing when that which wants to knock you off your footing comes at you. Faith, um, Hebrews 11, 6 teaches us that without faith it is impossible to please Him for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. So faith then says to those who are seeking God, those who are living for God, those who are taking every thought captive, right? Those who are alert and watchful in the day in, day, in, day out, that God will reward me for this. That's not an improper thought. That's not an improper thought. There is reward in seeking God. There is great reward in seeking God. And faith is the realization of that. Right? Faith is, to put, it more, to put more of a point on it, there is remuneration in seeking God. Maybe that will go down less smooth. Right? It sounds strange to say that, but, but this is faith. Faith exercised says there is more in God than in any of the temptations of the world. There is more in having Jesus than in panting after any of the impermanent pleasures of the flesh and of the world. 
By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For, it says, what does it conclude with? For he was looking to the reward. Faith looks to, to the reward. Faith wants that good reward. Faith believes that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. Right? There it is. So, um, faith is that which keeps you from being seduced. Faith, understanding Jesus to be your great and only treasure, will allow you to stand firm. Moses, look to the reward. Do you? Are you looking to the reward? If you're not looking to that eternal reward, then you're just looking for the next little tiny stimulation. That's it. You just go not from faith to faith. You go from stimulation to stimulation to stimulation. That's your life. It is, it, you're like an animal if you live like that. You're like a beast. Just going by instinct from one sensation to the next. I'm hungry, I eat. I lust, I have sex. Right? And that, that is life without Christ. It is just seeking stimulation. Finding what moves you and then adhering to it. Whether that's film or music or drugs, right? Whatever it may be. But faith waits for a greater reward, right? Faith lives for that eternal reward. And, and, and so faith that understands this is, allows you to stand firm, right? It allows you to resist everything that would knock you off your stance. Moses looked to the reward, do you? It's not wrong to want the rewards of faith. This is faith. It is to understand that God is that rewarder of those who seek him. Think of Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress, right? Plugging his ears and shouting eternal life, eternal life, and running toward the wicked gate, right? But what is he leaving behind? He's leaving behind his, his wife and his children and his town, all of whom think he's foolish, for running toward eternal life, right? All of whom don't think that the city of destruction is actually going to be destroyed. He's plugging his ears, he's shouting eternal life, leaves behind everything, and he is standing firm in his faith. So who will not stand firm? Who of us will decide that something else was paying more dividends than Jesus Christ? There was more benefit, more payoff than Jesus Christ. I mean, do you see the absurdity of that statement? More payoff than the creator of the rolling spheres, right? And the planets. Jesus rewards faith with salvation from eternal destruction. His reward is eternal life. His gift is pleasures forever, <laughs> right? Is, is, is the whole world enough, let alone some little sinful itch you want to scratch to append you? Right? There are many of you I think of, and, and I know you stand firm, your, your faith is strong, you have Jesus as your treasure. Praise God. 
But there are others with whom which I'm concerned. The cares of this life, the I want this or that, the attitude that the grass is greener on the other side, right? The discontentment with who and what God has given you. The, the, the immaturity of, of, um, of youth, right? And, and you're, the temptations that come against you are so powerful because you're not standing firm. And so I remind you, this is, your, this, this is glory. This is good. This is what you want. Stand firm in the faith. Don't live as if this life is all there is. There is eternity to come. Stand firm in the faith now. And your eternity will be one of, of you know, <clears throat> reward. Reward of payment, of not being rejected, of being welcomed rather than cast out. Uh, you will be, and, and should you be those who live for um, their reward in this life, then you will be required to pay for your sins. And sins against infinity require infinite payment. Third, the Holy Spirit says, act like men. And it doesn't say act like people or act like humans, or act like humanity. It says act like men, okay? And I think it's wonderful the Holy Spirit said this through the Apostle Paul. In an age when men are encouraged to act like women, and women are encouraged, conversely, to act like men, uh, we have need of a point-blank statement like, act like men. Okay, come on. Be a man. Play the man. Quitch ye like a man, as the King James puts it. Um, when it comes to playing the man, we obviously have no better example of that than Jesus Christ himself, right? And my mind usually goes to John chapter 18. Jesus is praying in the, the, to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. The disciples are told to keep watch, but what do they keep doing? They keep falling asleep. Right? They, they keep falling asleep, it's late, it's dark, it's the perfect temperature, you know, and they're, they're falling asleep. They're not, you know, they're not staying alert. And all the while, Jesus knows what is coming. Jesus knows exactly what is coming with uh, for what both the Father intends for him on the cross and what Judas, the priests, and the Romans intend for him on that night. Right? Yet, for all this tension, all this cosmic tension, which causes Jesus even to sweat blood, what does he pray? Yeah, not my will, but your will. Not my will, but your will, Father. Not what I want, but what you want. When the Roman cohort arrives to arrest Jesus, he, Jesus, comes striding forth to the entrance to the garden, intending to protect those disciples that are <clears throat> lazy, lazily sleeping and snoozing. And he's physically and spiritually playing the man. Think about his prayer. Think about knowing what pains are coming and faithfully saying, not what I want, though. Not what I want, what you want. 
Was there any better way to play the man than that? Right? You know the Lord has difficulties awaiting you in this fallen world, yet resign yourself to them in the same way that Jesus did. The man, <clears throat> I guess the, Jesus' prayer, we could, we could, uh, I would pull from that that the man, a man, is always happy with God's providence. Right? Not my will, but your will. The man is always happy with God's word, seeking his glory through a life of faith and obedience. The man shouts into the strong winds of God's providence in this fallen world. And, and he shouts, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Like Job. The man is one who suffers by the hands of God and yet draws nigh unto him. Right? Is disciplined by the Lord and yet loves the discipline of the Lord. <clears throat> the one who acts like a man is also the one who acknowledges all the good that comes to him from the Lord. He gives thanks for everything. He gives thanks for everything. He lives what Paul wrote in his letter to the uh, Thessalonians. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In this respect, I can personally say that I need to leave behind my sissiness and play the man. Right? Right, men? <clears throat> How many children have, have suffered because... How many of my children have suffered because of my grumbling and complaining? My being dissatisfied with God's providence. <clears throat> but a real man will find the good in every situation because he knows God has ordained it and God is with him. Instead of fear and worry and what are we going to do about this and what are we going to do next and how about that? You know, how are things going to work out? He trusts the Lord. And he gives thanks for where he is. Right? There's something else that comes to mind when I think about playing the man, and it has to do with boasting. Right? See, boasting is the great pastime of men. Men like to boast. Men like to outdo one another. Men are always competitive. It doesn't have to be physical competition. It can just be boasting competitions. Well, you know, this, I know this, and you don't know this, or I've had this, and you haven't had this, or, you know, I know so-and-so, and you don't know so-and-so. And, um, we boast, right? Think back on how much time you've spent boasting about this or that, twisting conversations around so that you can insert your boasts, right? Just hoping to enter into a conversation and say, well, you know, I know so-and-so. Oh, okay. Um, I personally regret spending so much time on vain boasting. Boasting, I mean, think about the th just think about the things we boast about. Car brands. Motorcycle brands. For you guys back there. Right? Sports teams. Boasting about our children's achievements, right? Which every child before them has also achieved. <laughs> every one of them. You know, it is the extraordinary child that doesn't learn how to read. Um, 
boasting about who we met one time or who we knew or used to know, boasting about workouts, boasting about, oh man, workouts, boasting about how much protein we take in in our diets. You know, all these things we boast about. Um, boasting about achievements at presbytery, boasting about degrees, boasting about things we said to other people, believers and unbelievers, boasting about certain skills we have, and all of that amounts to boasting about a big pile of dung. It's nothing more than that. It's worthless, but we live for these boasts. We live to boast. So often this is the major content of our conversations, the passion flares, right? When it comes to what we're good at and what we like and, and our culture would say that this sort of chest-beating passion is actually manliness. And this is manliness. But we know that's not the content of manliness. Right? Brothers, keep yourself from that so-called manliness. It takes more of a man to bless another with your words than it does to boast before a captive audience. It takes more to rebuke a man lovingly than it does to boast in your abilities that the other does not have. And anyway, what do you have that you have not received? Right? Nothing. So let your boast be as Paul's in the cross, in Jesus Christ alone. Boast about what God has done for you. Right? Boast about the glory of God. That is to play the man. Boasting about what God has done. <clears throat> so how, just for a moment, how does this command to act like men apply to women? Right? I mean, I've had people ask me about why we have that banner up there. Do we not care about women here? And I'm like, no, no, we do. We do. Um, I mean, you've heard it a thousand times. It swirls around Spartanburg. Um, we do care about women. We love women. Um, I, you know, there are a lot of things I could say about that, but it'll get awkward. Um, right? How does this command to act like men apply to women? Well, first of all, I would say, because there's an exhortation in Scripture for men to act like men, you women can't despise masculinity. You must not despise masculinity. You can't. Um, to despise masculinity is to despise, and, and, and our culture teaches us by osmosis. We don't even have to pursue it to despise masculinity, right? To despise the masculine gifts of leadership, of strength, right? Of protectiveness, of governing and ruling, right? And, and so our, our our culture is told, um, has, has completely upended things, and now women, women are supposed to excel in the masculine gifts, and men are just supposed to go away, right? And so with this exhortation, women, you can't, you can't do that. Men are told to act like men. We're told to be masculine. We're told to follow the Lord Jesus Christ even as he exhibited to us masculine sexuality. And so don't despise godly masculinity. Don't despise the strength of masculinity, is I guess one way I want to put it. Don't despise the strength of masculinity. Now, 
Now, having said that, um, don't, don't, uh, perverted masculinity is terrible and should be despised, right? When strength is used to, to abuse, when strength is used to afflict, when strength is not abused to, to revel in the providence of God, well, then it's, it's a joke, right? It is not the sort of strength or godliness that we're talking about here. And so <clears throat> that is not to be, um, that is not to be, uh, all right, that, sh- that is not to be, um, I'm blanking on the word I'm looking for. I'll just move on. Don't despise godly masculinity. The other thing I would say is if you're married, encourage your husband or the men in your life uh, in, in, by your femininity and do so through your submissiveness. That is the way that you will encourage the masculinity of your husband. There's a way that a woman submits that allows a man to lead. Okay? And so, um, honor, the, honor your, your, your father, your husband, uh, the men of your life by, by being feminine. Right? And um, part of femininity is submissiveness. Enough on that. Fourth. Holy Spirit says, be strong. Just like the first two exhortations were closely related, so the third and the fourth are closely related, the Holy Spirit reminds, reminds us to be men, then reinforces this, this commanding us to be, by commanding us to be strong. Be strong. right? So you ask, how, how am I to be strong? What will be the source of my strength? And we are all thinking it will be the Lord. right? And from Exodus... The song from Exodus goes through our minds, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. And I affirm that with all my heart, but there are some who affirm this statement, that the Lord is my strength in this way. The Lord is my strength, and I don't need all this accountability in Bible study and home fellowship groups and worship. The Lord is my strength. You see what I'm saying there? Right? There are those who will keep themselves from the life of the body and they will then say, well, you know, I've, I've got the Lord. The Lord is my strength. I have a one-on-one sort of relationship with God Almighty. Right? And they sever themselves from the life of the body. They sever themselves from the thing in God's world that, that God put there to be the incubator of strength, which is His church. Right? Have you had thoughts like that? Particularly when you're challenged by the, the men or women around you. I could do without all this confrontation. I just want to worship God. Right? I could do without all this accountability. I just, I just want to worship God. Um, if you have thoughts like that, you're weak. Right? That's not strength. That's not being strong. That's being weak. Right? You're not seeking your strength in the Lord because if you were, you would go after all the sources of strength that He has given to you. This is why we talk about the ordinary means of grace. Right? The preaching of the Word, the sacraments, prayer. Right? Those are the sources that God has given to us to grow our spiritual muscles, those sources of strength. And so the way to be strong is to be where God has placed His blessings on earth, in His household, His Son's bride, in the church. That's where it is. 
You are to have the word dwell within you richly. You are to not forsake assembling together as some have done and made shipwreck of their faith. You are to be around your brothers and sisters giving love and receiving love and fellowship. The strongest among us are those who are deeply involved in the life of the church. The strongest among us will always be those who are most deeply involved in the life of the church. The weakest are those who find every excuse, usually life circumstances, busyness, little children, older children, ailing parents, tiredness, etc., etc., etc. To not get among brothers and sisters in Christ. Just, and so I, I say, just get your bodies to evening worship. I mean, look how many people are here tonight that, and those who come on Sunday morning. Some people are not pursuing strength by being together with God's people in the evening, right? Why is my failure as the shepherd of this flock not to encourage it, right? That's why. Get your bodies to evening worship. Get your bodies to women Bible studies. Get your bodies to prayer meeting on Wednesdays, which are online. I mean, come on. Can I make it any easier for you? You can like sit on your your bed and like with your pillow on the head and drool and still attend. All right? Just get your bodies, men, to triple B and you will be strengthened, right? You will be strengthened because you will be in the Word. You'll be in prayer. You'll be taking up those, those ordinary means of grace. One of the things, I'm, one of the many reasons I'm thankful to be a pastor, there are other reasons that, that um, I think it's very difficult to be a pastor, but there are some things that I'm thankful for, in it, and it's that it keeps me in the Word of God. It keeps me in the Word of God. If you have to teach a Bible study, it's great because it keeps you deep in the Word of God. It's wonderful. Um, so find somebody you can teach the Word to, right? It'll get you into the Word, Right? Somebody who's younger than you. Take them, take them along and get them into the Word. And so, um, also, being a pastor by its very nature keeps me having to love people and to be in people's lives. And that's good. That's a good push for me. It forces me to pray. It forces me to attend everything that's going on in this body. I gotta be there. I don't have any, you know, I can't not be there. Uh, I don't go to the women's Bible study, but I could. I could. I would love to, actually. I think it would be very, um, very beneficial to see the faith of, of the women there. Uh, were it not for this, uh, you know, all of this accountability that's built into my vocation, I would be weak, right? So um, some of you may think you're strong, but your weakness is shown in your loose connection to the body of Christ. Right? You need to be around strong men. You need to be around strong women. You need to be studying the Word of God. You need to be hearing the preaching of the Word of God as from, from this pulpit. right? And I'm making a distinction there because of our podcast, um, our podcast addiction. Right, fine to pursue other podcasts, to listen to other sermons, but what I'm really concerned about is the incarnational ministry of the actual church, not just voices in your ears that come across the waves. Right, 
There's a difference there. It's good. It's good to be studying, right? I'm not telling you not to do it, but be devoted to your church and the pulpit of your church first. You need to be giving thanks through singing praises in the house of God. You need to be seeking Jesus Christ through these means and not delude yourself with some sort of I'm doing it on my own, right? I'll do it my own way. Um, You are like the man who enters a marathon and decides to start training the week before, right? That will never work out. You will not run the race with endurance. You will will bust out of that race. Um, Not even those fancy shoes that you're going to wear are going to get you through that marathon if you haven't trained your body for it. I find it interesting always that the weakest among us talk about the strength they have in the Lord and the strongest among us always talk about their weakness. That they need more. That they need more of the Word. They need more, more, more. That they're hungry, right? That, but but the, the weakest among us are always, always saying that, you know, they're good. Good. Got enough. Don't really need much more. Paul, the chief of sinners, right, um, boasted about his weakness. Hebrews 10.23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All the more as, as you see that great day coming down the road when Jesus will put everything straight. Fifth and finally, the Holy Spirit says, let all that you do be done in love. Here I believe he is speaking directly to how we brothers and sisters in Christ are to relate to one another. The whole orientation of each of us here is to be toward others. How have we blessed others? How have we ministered to the needs of others? How have we prayed for others? How have we diminished so that others may rise up? How have we washed the feet of the saints? How have we served, uh, served for the comfort and the growth of others in the body? How have we loved our wives, our husbands, our children, those brothers and sisters that are closest to us? How, how have we given up that which we wanted for that which others needed? right? How have we sacrificially given? Those are all challenging questions, right? Challenging to me. And and certainly, as you may have um, heard me mention before, the love we have for one another is from God and existed in the Trinity before we were created, right? So, doing everything in love is a participation in the life of the Trinity, that has always existed, right? God is love. So to love is to participate in something eternal, that love between the Father and the Son. And that's glorious, right? That we can participate in that love. Jesus prayed to his Father, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. 
right? Is love, is love at the center of your life, children? Is love at the center of your life as you go crazy with your obnoxious emotions, right? Is love at the center of your life? To love one another is to, or let me back up. It's either love or self-love. It's either love or self-gratification. It's either love or self-centeredness, right? It's one or the other. Are you loving others and serving them, or is your whole life in service to your own desires and your own happiness, your own attitudes? Is that what motivates you? Thankfully, Jesus Christ was nothing like that. He was never like that. Not once was he ever self-gratifying. Right? Think of that. He loved us. And think of the rewards of the love that Jesus gave toward his people. The reward is eternal life. The reward is sinless eternity for his people. To love one another, to let all that we do be done in love, is to exercise the eternal love of God which has been poured on our hearts through the Holy Spirit, At times, this love will be visits to the hospital room. At times, it will be a hot rebuke um, that seeks to turn us from our sin. At times, it will be gentleness with a brother or sister who is struggling spiritually or physically. At times, it will be forgiveness, right, given to those who sinned against us. At times, it will be changing a dirty diaper, At times it will be covering the nakedness of a friend as Noah's sons did uh, in his drunkenness. Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, for indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, excel still more. You love, but more. More, more, more. Excel still more. And so make love the centerpiece of your life. Make love the centerpiece of your life. Especially love of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Especially there. Especially the household of God. Beautify, and this will be the last thing I say, beautify your profession of faith in Christ by living a life toward life of love toward others. Make your profession of faith beautiful by the love that you show toward others, right? The commitment, the kindness, the love that you have. And so Paul says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to remember these five exhortations in the coming week, that we would put them into practice, that we would be alert, that we would stand firm, that we would act like men, that we would be strong, and that all that we do, we would do in love. Lord, help us to do this to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.